Welcome to PR360, a weekly interview podcast dedicated to talking about the important topics within the public relations technology industry, hosted by Brett Deister and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find out more information at globalresultspr.com. Welcome to PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Deister. And if you didn't know, we are a podcast about interviewing the best and brightest in the PR and tech industry. And with me, I have Peter Mahoney. He is the CEO and founder of Plana, which is actually quite interesting. We're going to get to that in a little bit. He's also had 30 years of experience with marketing technology and product development. He's been a CMO of a $2 billion software company. He has amazing experience, and we are happy to have him on our show this week. Welcome, Peter. Hey, thank you, Brett. I'm thrilled to be here. And so first question is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Ah, the most important question you could ever ask in a marketing and PR podcast, I suspect. I am a hard coffee drinker. Black, hot, nothing special. That's it, 100%. Been like that for a very long time. Yeah, I am actually that too. I only drink it black because it's the best that way. Well, not only is it the best, but I think I drink so much coffee, Brett, that if I put milk and sugar in my coffee and have my eight or 10 cups of coffee a day, I think I'd probably be about 300 pounds and have diabetes. Yes, those Starbucks frappuccinos can really get you sometimes. <laughs> they can indeed, although that's why I, I prefer the basic black. That's what I'm all about. All right. And so what gets you excited about the tech industry since you've been in it for a while? What excites you about it? Well, a lot excites me about tech. And probably the thing that's most exciting, Brett, is that things are just always changing. Because I, like many people in this field, I think I probably have had ADD my entire life. I like things to be different. I like to do new things. And tech is constantly changing. You mentioned 30 years. You're making me feel really old. But 30 years ago, in fact, I started my journey in technology more like 40 some odd years ago when I was a young teenager working with my TRS-80 and my Commodore computer and my early Apple computer. And that back then was sort of the state of art of technology and seeing things constantly change for the last four decades now has been fascinating and it keeps me engaged and interested. Yeah. I mean, don't have to call yourself old. You can call yourself seasoned instead. You know, the yes, I like that. Thank you. Yes. I do remember at least the DOS format and Commodore 64 myself and floppy disk. So I get what you're saying. My first programming, the, the way I learned programming was on punch cards. Do you know what a punch card is? Yes. Actually, my parents told me what a punch card is in the old <laughs> style computers where you actually had to put punch cards in there to read the data, basically. That's right. That was a long time ago, and it was old technology a long time ago. But yes, I have outdone you in my oldness, Brett. So that's what I'm all about. Yes. Well, I do my best. Anyways, moving on, can you explain a little bit about Plana for us and what it's all about? Yeah, I'd love to. Just some context. As you mentioned in my little intro there, I spent, even though I'm 
a nerd and a tech guy, I've spent most of three plus decades working in marketing related jobs and some product related jobs. And one of the things I struggled with constantly during that time was managing the money, managing budgets. And because in fact, managing your marketing budgets and your plans is pretty much the most important thing for a senior marketing executive to do. And it's just terrible. The tools were old and awful. So I decided after doing this and putting up with this for so many years that someone had to fix this problem. So that's why I built Plana. And Plana is a intelligent platform for building and managing marketing plans and budgets. And it's built on a core of AI, like everything is these days, I think. And the, the big vision is that not only will you be able to track your budgets and figure out what's working better, but the system is ultimately going to give you some sage advice on what you should be doing differently as a marketer. So that's what it's all about. So are you guys implementing like AI and machine learning to your software or anything like that? Yeah, we are. So the first implementations of those things are, are relatively simple and not really where you'd expect. In fact, one of the things that we do, one of the areas where we leverage machine learning is in the synchronization of data sources from accounting systems to the systems of tracking your plan. So they tend to represent data very differently. So we use some very clever algorithms that get smarter over time by learning from all the data that we have to do a good job making something that you didn't even know was a problem when you start to think about matching your financial plan with your marketing plan and make it completely transparent for the user. That's a simple way that we implement machine learning kind of capabilities. And there are lots of cool things that will be coming out to leverage even more capabilities over time. Nice. And I mean, it seems like AI machine learning is being implemented more and more into marketing initiatives or at least marketing softwares and tools. It is, although if you think about it, AI is a very broad term. It can mean almost anything. In fact, the official definition of AI that most people embrace also includes things like rules-based systems, which most people don't think of as AI. But the broadest way that the academics think about AI includes everything from simple rule-based systems to statistical systems to machine learning to conversational systems and dialogue and everything in between. And there, so it's a very broad field. And the, the way that I think about it is contemporary intelligent application of software and related technologies to solve business problems. So that's why you see AI bandied about a lot because you can apply little bits of AI and lots of different pieces of technology. And I think you'll see it almost as common as any other piece of software when it comes to the future of building enterprise software, especially. And so what do you think the hardest part is for product development from a PR marketing perspective? So the hardest part of product development for a PR or marketing product or the part, hardest part of marketing and PR for a product? The second one. The second one. So probably the most difficult part is reaching your audience with a message that they relate to, understand, and get excited about. That's the hardest part. 
and that's the hardest part of any kind of marketing message. It's sort of matching the value proposition in a way that's compelling and interesting with the specific market segment that you're trying to reach. So if we can do that effectively, we can marry up the needs of our customers with the capabilities of our products and kumbaya, everybody's happy. And do you think like team cohesion can be part of the problem? Engineers not really working with the marketing people. I've had some experience with that working for more of a computer component company where they would give me something and I would tell them it's not really working as effectively as they said it was. Yeah, it's certainly, certainly when you have a team that doesn't consistently understand the message or the value that you're trying to communicate, whether that's marketing people or engineers or business people or finance people, that, that can be some of the problem. But, and, and sometimes the marketing people are not very good at coming up with the message that's compelling enough to the target audience that you're speaking to. So I'm not sure if that's a team cohesion thing, but ultimately it's about making sure that you have the right message for the right audience. True. It can be both ways where marketers aren't really good and the engineers aren't really telling you much. It can be kind of just both things not coming together. But where do you think PR marketing is going for the future? Where do you see it going in the next five to 10 years? Well, obviously we've seen everything go to a very digital kind of mode where Things happen very quickly. Things are very measurable. I think data will be at the center of everything that we do from a PR and marketing perspective. So tying things together in a way that leverages the trackability and the, the data that's available, I think that means that we're going to see better targeting of messages, better personalization of messages. So even if, for instance, if you are trying to get a uh, media placement, that media placement, the message may be more refined and, and adapted to the specific audience you're trying to reach in an intelligent way. So those kinds of things, I think, are where we're going to see the future of marketing and, and PR going, uh, definitely more digital and definitely more data and personalized. And what do you think is key to relationship building to getting your message out? Do you think relationships are more or do you think it's just spreading everything out to social media and everything and hopefully something catches? Relationships are critical, obviously. And the idea is that, that most messages get out there and start to resonate with an audience because they're reflected and enforced by key influencers. And whether those influencers are members of the media directly, reporters, as an example, or people who just happen to be social media influencers or analysts, they're incredibly important to help amplify a message. Now, that doesn't mean someone's picture of a cat tripping over a bucket can't go viral, but that's not what it's all about. If you're trying to communicate a message to a broad audience, it's about finding the most influential amplifiers of those messages and leveraging those relationships to make sure that it reaches all of the right people with the right message associated with it. So basically personalization, but also making sure the message hits with the personalization is what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's certainly an element of it. But the 
key thing I was trying to emphasize, which is where I think you were going, Brett, was that the idea that relationships are really important. And I think that you can't take a spray and pray kind of mentality when it comes to when it comes to reflecting your message in the market. That's just super inefficient. And I think you're going to get lost in the noise because the reality is there's an amazing amount of message that we all see on a day to day basis. And finding the way for your message to stand out in a compelling way is very difficult. And the way that happens effectively is to make sure that the influencers of those messages, the people who, as I said, can amplify it, are understand it, they're targeted, and they connect with those people in a meaningful way. That's where you might personalize the message to them. So what does this message mean to you from your perspective as someone who's influential? And if they resonate with the message, they're going to reflect it for you. And what do you think for CMOs is the biggest hurdle for them right now? Well, they've got a lot of hurdles. I mean, one of the hurdles is that they can't hold on to their jobs, right? It's in the C-suite, the CMO is the executive position that has the least amount of tenure and is replaced faster than any other executive in, in that executive suite. So why does that happen? For a whole bunch of different reasons. One is measurability and communicating the value of marketing. So the irony of marketing these days is that it's incredibly measurable, meaning that there are lots and lots of elements that you can measure in marketing, but it's incredibly difficult to communicate the specific value of your overall marketing. It's frankly one of the reasons why I built Plana, because it's designed to do that, to help you communicate the value of your overall marketing more effectively. But that's really difficult for CMOs, figuring out how to communicate that value. There are lots of other challenges that they have, making a message stand out in a very crowded market, as we were talking about just a few minutes ago. But I think that big fundamental one is about proving the value of what they're doing to themselves so that they can figure out which things they should do more and which things they should do less of. And then, of course, to the constituencies that matter to them around the executive table so that they can hold on to their jobs more effectively. It seems just like the common thing where even marketers, when it's a bad economy, first ones to go, seems like CMOs are no different from that either. Yeah, it's certainly there's the expectation that you're going to get great marketing results, great business results out of your marketing. And even if you're getting good results, sometimes it's really hard to articulate those results. Certainly, it's a position that can be vulnerable. I think that there are some great CMOs who've had very long tenures and very successful careers, and largely because they've been able to create value and articulate that value and get other people to understand what it is. And speaking of value, what are some of the KPIs CMOs should be focusing their time on as opposed to stuff they shouldn't be focusing their time on? Well, the KPIs that CMOs should care about are the KPIs that measure the success of the business goals that they have in front of them. So you can't just say, these are the five KPIs that matter for you, whether it's customer acquisition or reach or visibility or web traffic or conversion rate or whatever. The reality is you need to start with your business goals. So what are you trying to achieve as a business and what is marketing's part in that play 
so that they understand what they're trying to do is helping them achieve the goals. And then the KPIs should be related to those. So let's use a simple example. If your goal is to grow your customer base, as an example, what you might say is, well, the key KPI is new customers. That seems pretty simple. If your goal is to sell more to the same customers, then your KPI should be about same customer sales. So who am, how am I doing selling additional things to the same set of customers? So it really is based on those goals. And if you don't have alignment and agreement and understanding of those goals, you're never going to have alignment on the KPIs that you're measured on. And we probably should just add churn in there for subscription-based companies since that's becoming more and more popular in the business world, it seems like. Certainly. Again, it's based on your goals. So if your goals are growing your revenue over time, which is pretty common for people to care about, then it's certainly an important element of that is retaining your existing customers. And churn is going to be an important KPI. But not every business has churn. Some businesses are more transactional. They don't have enduring relationships like a SaaS company does. So it really depends on your business and your business goals. But Lots and lots of people care about churn these days, and they should. It's good that people care more about keeping and retaining their customers and keeping them happy. Mm -hmm. And do you think voice search will eventually overtake traditional typing on your keyboard or phone search in the next 10 years, or will we still see people just doing the old-fashioned way? You know, I think voice search is going to continue to grow and voice is going to be one of many different kinds of modalities people use to search. I think that you'll see text search continue to grow because it happens to be an important medium for people and an input method for people to get information in. But search is going to get smarter and smarter, and it's going to get more proactive. Voice search today is still in its infancy. Certainly, in mobile devices, it's a sizable and rapidly growing method of finding information. In the home setting with smart speakers, you're seeing more voice search going on, but I don't think that's gonna overtake texting in the relative short term. But these other modalities of search, including not only using voice, but using voice with context, using proactive kind of things. You haven't asked me for this, but I know you're going to ask me about something soon because I know that you usually, in this part of your journey in your car, you usually are, you start to get hungry or thirsty or you need a cup of coffee. So I'm going to say, would you like me to tell you where the nearest coffee shop is? That kind of proactive thing, I think, is may spawn some kind of a voice interaction, but it's going to be a very different kind of search than you see today, much more sophisticated. Much more predictive, it seems like. Yeah, predictive and proactive. So consumers like technology that is helpful and supportive. And as long as they don't view it as being invasive or creepy, it's important for technology to eliminate steps for consumers. And if it can eliminate all the steps and just say, hey, I know you're likely going to want something, so I'm going to offer to you, then that can be a great experience for the user. And do you think marketers should pull some resources into the voice search for more optimization? Or do you think that's kind of a waste of time right now for the time being? Well, it's going to depend on your business. I certainly don't think that 
every business. If you're selling industrial sand, then you may not really care about voice search. If you're selling consumer products that have that kind of short consideration phase and search and discovery is important to your products, then sure, I think you should think about it. So it depends on the kind of business that you're in and the customers that you're selling to and what their behaviors are. But if you're the kind of product that consumers buy especially, and they buy with relatively short consideration time, meaning they don't think about it a lot, they just search and look for something and want to buy it or find information on it, then I think voice search is a really important element of the story. And, and it should be part of your strategy. Certainly, people should think about it and understand where it fits in the context of other types of search. And what tools would you like to develop, or other tools, I should say, and would you like to see someone else develop for the PR marketing industry? Well, I think there, there are some good tools out there today. I think that we collectively have not solved all the problems when it comes to marketing. I think we need more intelligence. I think we need to combine information and provide insights without requiring a lot of work. So part of the problem today is still the combination of data can be super valuable for marketers to understand, but it's a very, very hard exercise for the marketers to combine data together to come up with something that's meaningful. As more data becomes available, I think the systems that marketers and PR professionals use should be more predictive and, and more seamless, and they should just tell you what they think you should know versus requiring you to go through all sorts of steps to try to answer the question. Yes. I mean, it would be great if they could all correlate the data into something useful for marketers and not have us do it all the time. Not to make marketers just passive listeners. Just, that's not the point. There still should be a lot of intelligence and creativity when it comes to marketing. There's not enough proactive, insightful information delivered from the tools that are out there today. And I think that's a big, important area for the state of the art to continue to improve. And speaking of data, what do you think is really going to happen or how are marketers going to have to change with the new privacy laws and data privacy always popping up in the news, how do you think marketers have to go about working within those laws to get the best data, but not take everything and have some massive data leak or anything like that? Well, you mentioned a really important element of that is within the laws. So it's really important for marketers to understand the existing and involving laws around data privacy and make sure that they fully embrace them and support them. Because the reality is I think they're great for marketers over time. Ultimately, if consumers and enterprise professionals can trust marketers with their data, then they'll be more willing to share their data. And that's what it's all about. You need to make sure that you're carefully protecting the data of your customers and prospects and consumers. You need to make sure that you're, as I said, following along with all the, the laws appropriately to make sure that you're embracing them and supporting them 100%. And if you do that and respectfully use data to add value to your consumers versus 
doing something that's inappropriate, then I think you're in a good place. But it's really important that you embrace the laws. And I think there's a, as I said, an upside for marketers if they are known and have a reputation for being good stewards of consumer privacy, then I think that will reflect positively on their brand. So a great example of that is Apple, I think, has done a great job leaning into the data privacy stuff. So because they have less of a full demand to push people to the cloud for everything, as an example, because they are a hardware company uh, in, at one level of their business anyway, they can have a strategy that says, we're going to keep everything on the hardware as much as possible and not push your data up to the cloud, and certainly not in an encrypted way unless we have to. And they don't have a business model that leverages consumer data. Because of that, I think they've created a very positive brand association for Apple around data privacy, which I think is smart because consumers are getting more and more concerned about what could potentially happen if their data falls into the wrong hands. Mm, yeah. And with that, what do you think is some of the biggest issues marketers are going to face in 2020? Data privacy is a big one and keeping up to speed with the privacy regulations and making sure that your systems are conformant to those regulations is a pretty critical thing. The other thing is measurement. Measurement, as we talked about earlier in our session here, is it's difficult, it's critically important, because if you can't prove your value, maybe you're going to have a hard time keeping your job. But more importantly, even before you have to defend your job, you have to really understand where value is coming from in your marketing mix so you can do more of that and less of the things where less value is coming from. So that's why measurement continues to be critically important for marketers to understand. And you think marketers are going to have to use more tools to get the right measurements? Or do you think eventually somebody's going to come out with something that will at least collate most of that and help them with that big issue of figuring out where to go? Well, I, I would love to be able to say that we're solving all those problems and it's going to be wonderful and just buy Plana. And uh, I hope your listeners do, but I don't think we're going to solve all their problems. <laughs> I think we're still going to be in a mode where there are lots of different tools that people need to use when it comes to measuring and optimizing their marketing. And that's probably okay. There's some great tools out there from simple tools to sophisticated and complex ones. I still think there's going to be a broad set of tools that are required for marketers to understand. The problem we've tried to solve with Plana is at the broad strokes level really understanding at the very high level view how your plan is performing versus the individual micro level where which decision do I need to make about do I put the ad with this message in front of this consumer or do I put a different ad in front of them? Those kinds of tools and measurement systems are, are different. And I think you're going to see a broad range of those systems in use for some period of time. Which leads me to my next question. Do you think the messaging for marketers is going to become more holistic and personalized in 2020 as opposed to the previous years where it's kind of gone that way? Do you think that it's going to be a bigger push into that? It's helpful to have a personalized message because it's, it's delivering information that's more relevant and useful to me and less stuff that's undifferentiated and likely just noise. So 
I suspect that it will continue to get better. So the more personalized you can be with your message, the more effective it's going to be. And two, it's still hard. It's still difficult for people. And interestingly, in many cases, it's not the technology. There's a lot of great technology out there to deliver personalized messages to people. Sometimes the hardest part is the strategic piece at the beginning. It's segmenting your audience, defining the different segments you want to communicate to, and mapping a set of messages to them. That's the strategic part that a lot of people just aren't good at yet. So if you've done a good job creating market segmentation, creating personas, and developing a set of messages that are personalized to those individual personas, there's some great tools out there that you can use. I think more and more marketers are waking up to that and embracing those tools. So I expect that you definitely will see a continued growth in personalized messaging coming out in 2020 and beyond. And what type of advice do you have for future marketers or future people that are going to be CMOs? What advice can you give them? So there are a few things that I tell early in their career marketers that they should do. First of all, you should understand as much about digital and technology as you possibly can. I like to tell people you should learn to code if you haven't figured it out. If you're still in school, you should take a class coding if you haven't done that, because I think it gives you an appreciation for the way some of these things work. Even though your coding skills are probably going to rapidly atrophy if you don't use them all the time, I think it's just helpful. So understanding those things, understanding digital is critically important. If you want to be a CMO, I think it's really important for you to work outside of marketing. I think it's great to have deep functional experience within marketing, but it's almost more important to understand the perspective of other functions within a company and to be a broad general business person who understands the important things that are driving the success of a business. So those things, having a broad capability, it sometimes is counterintuitive for people to think, how do I be the top person in marketing? Do something not in marketing. But that's an important thing to do. I think it makes you better and more effective as a marketer over time. So still marketers, try to be a Jack or Jill of all trades. At least more than one is probably the way to think about it. You don't want to be one dimensional. And it's like, I'm a big believer in the concept of diversity. And I hope many of your listeners are too. But Diverse ideas, diverse thought, diverse perspectives make us all stronger because they look at things from a different perspective and lens, and they add a different view that is very helpful to understand things. So a diversity in your own experience is something that will make you more effective at what you do as you're making day-to-day -day decisions. So it's just an important part of being a human being is creating some diverse understanding and creating some diverse experiences for yourself. All right. Any final thoughts for our listeners? I think marketing and PR are amazing, interesting fields to be in. I personally decided to build this company because I think they're great people to work with. I think it's a fascinating, rapidly changing field. And I hope people are interested in this content and continue to innovate in the field because I think there's a lot more fun to happen in this space in the not too distant future. And I'm looking forward to seeing what all those smart people come up with. All right. Well, thank you, Peter, for sharing your experience and your thoughts with our listeners at PR360.
Great. Glad to do it, Brett. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And as always, thank you for tuning in to PR360. And if you could be so kind, please subscribe to PR360 on all the popular podcast platforms. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. And join us next week as we talk to another exciting and great thought leader in the PR tech industry. I'm Brett Deister, and have a great week and see you next week. Later, guys. 